Hello everyone and welcome to NGF News. My name is Alec and we have Josh online as well. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, U.S. canceling Alaska oil and gas leases and most importantly the outcomes of the G20 summit. Uh, we're going to start real quickly, probably spend five to ten minutes talking about the U.S. canceling the Alaska oil and gas lease so we can go straight to talking about the G20 summit, the results and everything fully in depth. So let's go straight into what is going on domestically. Um, the Biden administration has canceled seven oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge uh, area in Alaska. Um, these leases were granted to the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority, allowing drilling in that uh, region. Uh, we're going to say ANWR, A-N-W-R, I'm going to say ANWR, um, yeah. referring to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Um, to protect the wildlife and sacred land for the Wichin people. I think I said that right. Um, the U.S. Department, U.S. Interior Department, right? U.S. Department, Department, of Department, Department of the Interior. Secretary Deb Holland cites that he has illegal deficiencies for lease sale cancellation. So this, this region was important because obviously oil and gas, um, there were two projects there, this and then along with the Willow project that are active right now. The Willow is still active and this one was canceled. I'm not sure if they were um, drilling anything. I think this was just a lease for the uh, oil and gas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it was just like to obtain what was already um, drilled in this area. So the other one was just canceling the – or prohibiting – Drilling within a, a 13 million acres of the National Petroleum Reserve. Gotcha. So yeah. here's my first question, right? Why was the original National Petroleum Reserve on sacred and wildlife land originally? Because had we seen this before, we wouldn't have marked it under a National Petroleum Reserve area. Would that that's that's the first thing I thought of when I was reading through everything. And I was like, why, why did we do this to ourselves from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it it, it was definitely probably a prior administration a long time ago that you know when that's before they saw things like preserving Native American land as top priority. Obviously, for a long time, especially if you go to the seventies and the eighties, petroleum was a very important part of the U.S. economy because of what was going on with OPEC at the time in uh, limiting oil, you know, to the rest of the world. So this was probably made during the 70s and 80s uh, mm, as okay. a precaution. Um, I'm not too sure about that, but I would assume that that's one of the reasons that it was made. And also prior, most Republican administrations usually don't look at that um, too much too closely. Obviously, if there are people living there, they're not going to drill with those people or they'll pay them off a big price. Of but yeah. Listen, I'm all for the environment and I'm all for protecting indigenous land. I think that's very important. I'm glad we brought this conversation up and that this lease was canceled. But I think what was wrong here is we're not supplementing it with something else because now our our availability is going to dwindle. So we need to supplement this with digging somewhere else where it doesn't affect wildlife or indigenous land. Because we can't just cancel one lease and not figure out what we're going to do next. What are our next steps? Yeah, and, and, and I think 
Also looking at the amount of land, 13 million acres, we can use sonar technology to be able to find where exactly are the best places that we should hit, that we should use fracking to create natural gases and then dig oil. So we can use the technology to the best of our abilities to find the perfect areas and not harm all 13 million acres of that land, still to extract well-needed oil. There's estimate of 11 billion barrels that could be in that oil reserve, which could basically give us oil for the next, you know, 100 years if we continue the path on climate uh, and uh, green technology for energy. Absolutely. And I think I wrote an article on a U.S.-Mexico um energy dispute going on it hasn't been uploaded yet at the time of this recording but it will be very very shortly um and it talks about how we're we're intaking oil from mexico turning it into petroleum where we're finding it into petroleum and we're also shipping out natural gas as well but it's we're this is only going to increase whatever we import if we're only just going to refine it and export it again so it's we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot here with reducing with reducing what we import to then only refine and export out. I think we need to find somewhere else to dig for oil because there's like you said still a demand for oil. We can't stop and not figure out next steps because we've stopped and we haven't figured out next steps. We've done the right thing: protect the environment, protect the wildlife, and protect the sacred land. But we still need to develop. We are still we still have demands to fulfill until we get to the point where we can start manufacturing green tech. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I 100 percent agree, because if we're looking at what is happening, the American dollar and the consumer dollar is just declining. Inflation rate right now is still hovering around that five percent mark. And so what can be done to lower inflation to a very, very high degree, and I know we've said this probably a bajillion times on this podcast, is digging and using oil reserves that we do have. The Biden administration has before used, gotten new contracts to dig for oil within the U.S. in areas that aren't, you know, going to hurt, harm the environment or harm indigenous lands, learning preserves. But in this case... This is a large reserve that, again, can make us a lot of money. Right now, gasoline on average in this country is above $3.50 still. That's high. And an American consumer is going to be struggling to pay for that. And what this can do is not just lower the prices of how of gas for transportation. It can lower other transportation costs, trains. It can lower manufacturing costs, which can then lower things like products in your stores, for example, if you want to go get a new TV or if you want to buy food, food can be lowered because how do you move it? You ship it. The shipping costs are one of the reasons or one of the things they tack into the cost when it gets to the shelf. So that petroleum, that oil can be significant to reducing inflation. And that three to five year mark that the Fed has to reduce inflation could be one to two years in this case, in my personal opinion. Right. Now, the Alaskan government has voiced its um, disapproval for yes. federal government overstepping something that the Alaskan government believes that it was up to their decision whether or not. Now, is this something – is digging for oil something that should be 
a state power because it take it does take away local jobs and it does affect the local level economy the state economy now is is this should be something that is up to the states a state with federal review or full federal power that's something i've asked myself but i want to i want to know your opinion yeah i mean the only reason i'd ever say that it's the i guess it's the only real reason when it gets to the, down to the basics of our constitutional law is that oil considers as you know inter um, state interstate commerce which is the power of the purse which in turn is controlled by congress mm-hmm. so unfortunately in in this case for alaska alaska does want to dig for oil i do agree that the power is within the federal government to limit and to not limit something like this when it comes mm-hmm. to interstate commerce yeah I, I was gonna say the exact same thing um it's yeah. it's it's up to the federal power because it again it's a article one type situation so yeah. It's it, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation um, for many reasons because I'm sure what it could do for the Alaskan government to have that kind of money coming in would do probably leaps and bounds and also what it will do for the federal government and our people will also be significant. But at the end of the day, the power does rely within the federal government, whatever the choice of this Biden administration and the choices that they're going to draw. Fully agree. Um, I don't have anything else on this. I really want to talk about the G20 now. If we could yeah, want to switch me too. This, this one is uh, it's a great one. Yep, so we're going straight into the G20 summit. I mean, what a, what a summit it has been. Um, it yeah. took place in New Delhi, India, and it has concluded as of today. Um, the African Union, we're going to go straight into it. So the African Union was added to the G20. They'll be in the next G20, which will be in Brazil of next year and it was a much uh, needed addition to bring more developing countries to the table and make this as inclusive as possible that's african union 55 african countries 55 added to the g20 you you can't say anything better really about how the outcome of that i i honestly think if nothing else came to the table after what happened and that was the only thing that happened in the g20 that's still a win to me I think that's mm-hmm. still a big win because what BRICS just did was admit, I think, seven, nine member states, including, you know, UAE, Argentina, uh, Nigeria, uh, I'm missing a few, Iran, a bunch. And then we go over there, we say, all right, we're going to admit 55 member states to the G20. Competition is important. And, and I don't think what we're you're what we're kind of saying or what we're making it sound like or what I'm making it sound like I'm saying this is that we're pitting we're pitting bricks versus the G20. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that competition is important. Having the developing world in the important conversations about the world is important. And I think this, this is a big one. Oh, much needed. I don't know why we didn't have this in the beginning, but this was you took everything. What, what I was going to say on it, but yeah. uh, I want to go into other things from the G20. Um, Russia and China skipped this year's conference. Um, Russia, <laughs> pretty pretty simple. Uh, they skipped because yeah. of the Ukrainian war and refusal to work with the Western nations on any issue. Um, and they wanted to avoid being called out um, by, uh, by G20 countries. But for China's reasons for skipping 
is interesting because we don't exactly know what their reasons were. It wasn't exactly said, but I did find yeah. a few reasons on why, with the main one being that they're solely focused on bricks and they want to use bricks to kind of create their stronger economic coalition com compared to G7. Not G20, G7. I think that's what yeah. they're trying to do. But there's also other reasons that I found was because there was an Indian dispute with the Himalayan, uh, with the Himalayan border. Um, yeah. India is strengthening its defense ties with the United States and then BRICS focusing, uh, also focus on BRICS, which is very hypocritical of China, right? Why do they solely want to focus on BRICS when they were originally complaining about the West dividing uh, the West with the West division with the rest, the West East division? They're they're very hypocritical on this point for only wanting to focus solely on BRICS and not it, being a part of the G20. Uh, of conference. course they are. Of course they are. Um, <laughs> There, there's, there's many reasons. You listed a lot that why they didn't come because it was in India. But the other reason I think is that, and I, well, a lot of things that I read is that they're scared. They're, they're afraid that India is a rising power. They're afraid that they're going to be very close in working with the United States, and it's really, really ironic too, because they're in bricks. India is in bricks. So. What do you do at that point? You have these border disputes. What does India do at this point? India, Modi, there's an article that will be coming out that I wrote about Modi and his, you know, what he looks at as a new world order. And Modi wants to do everything that's in the best interest of India, for obvious reasons, or what might be Bharat in the future, um, the new name for India. Um, but besides that point, India, he wants India to have his options open. He wants to get everything that he can to make the best for his constituents. Reason A, he did not condemn Russia in their invasion in Ukraine and abstained in the vote because they are relying on cheap Russian oil, cheap Russian natural gases, and cheap Russian weapons. Getting the best deal for India. Option A, one of the reasons why he was very happy to go and sit down at Congress with Biden is because of the new security alliance to defend them from mm -hmm. China. So he's looking for the best of both worlds. Totally understand. And China's afraid of that. China's very afraid of that. Yep. And they have done an absolutely fantastic job serving as a mediator between the global north and global south. They absolutely. have been – they successfully created – well, one of the things I was really proud of India for doing is that they created language um, about the Russia-Ukraine war, and there was no edits on that language. Everyone agreed to what was said, and it was talking about how um, that their, their uphold the uphold the, the comment was about upholding the UN Charter and protecting territorial integrity, and now it's indirectly firing shots at Moscow, but not directly, yeah. which is what Russia wanted. But the rest of the world, the Western countries as well, were okay with this language, and were also happy with this language as well. So this. I think this was the first time in G20 summit where a chair's comments were not changed. Now, Ukraine has not been so happy with um, the results of the G20 and not condemning Russia. But I, I understand. I understand. But this is a G20 summit, not a NATO summit. Yeah, a G20 summit <laughs> originally was created for addressing global economic issues, economic issues. Now, I understand that there should have been some talks about the Green Deal, 
and how grain is going to be addressed. That I agree because that is an economic issue that is affecting a lot of people. I don't understand why that wasn't brought up, but I fully agree with not bringing up anything military because this is an economic problem. These yeah. are economic issues that they all came to agree with. Yeah, I like the wording. Um, the exact wording on the second half of that portion was called on all states to not use force to grab territory. Mm -hmm. I think that that is perfect wording to keep a neutral backing. Because, um, I mean, there even though Vladimir Putin wasn't there, there was a Russian representative. And, oh, was it? You know? I yeah, there was a Russian representative, yeah. I don't think China came at all, but I know there was a Russian representative. His mm -hmm. name was Sergei. He was the gotcha. foreign minister. Oh, yeah. That is <laughs> yeah, Sergei, yeah. Yeah. Interesting guy. Oh, yeah, Sergei Lavrov. Mm -hmm. Or Lav Lavru, I don't know how to say that correctly. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think that's great wording. Uh, Ukraine said it was nothing to be proud of, but you know Germany and Britain praised the resolution, and the rest of the G20. I think I would agree. I think Ukraine is just really looking for sympathy in all corners, always, and that's not. And they have it. It's not they like they it. don't. They yeah, they're, they're, they're they looking too much. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to dig too, and I think they're trying to fully. Uh, fully attack Russia on all aspects. But again, this is this is an economic conference. And I think I said this about the last G20 summit as well, is that why would you bring up um, Ukraine, Russia-Ukraine in an economic conference? There's there's a time yeah. and place for it. This is about economic issues. And yeah, that's... Fixing, yeah. Uh, you know, other big world picture things. Yeah. And I think the, the grain deal was brought up once by the Turkish... Uh, president delegation, yeah, yeah, delegation, and he he kind of just basically said, um, you know, the the green deal is not impossible to resume. Mm -hmm. Um, but overall, I mean, this summit was great. You know, with the South Africa, Brazil, and India were key players to bridging the gap. This is a direct quote from uh, Reuters to coming to a consensus over the document. I mean, this is a consensus document for the first time. I think in a, in a while a in a G20 time. conference. A long time. Like a consensus document. And uh, Macron said, I mean, this G20 conference confirms the isolation of Russia. I think I, I would totally agree. <laughs> I think Russia yeah. is out, out of the loop right now. I think they're, they're, they're losing big on the international front. Russia was the only one. China lost big time. And I want to talk about some initiatives that occurred during the G20 that they missed out on. Not missed out on, but they they missed out on other opportunities. Here's what – let me explain. So <laughs> the United States – I'll get to it in a second. The United States has come out as a big winner of this G20 conference. They came – there was a picture circulating around the internet with Biden shaking hands with Modi and Mohammed bin Salam, Salman uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia. And they've come up with – well, the United States plans to. Now, I don't know what the – full specs are but their plan is to create a long-term initiative to enhance uh, the flow of goods energy uh and information exchanging across borders to link india middle east uh and europe which is absolutely one. that was we've been we've been singing this song for how long now yeah how so long? long i think it's been like a good six or seven months and this is exactly the type of things that we're looking for is bridging the 
bridging that gap between the West and the rest. And this is perfect. This is what all countries want. We're looking past our geopolitical differences. We're looking past our different ideologies. And we're just focusing on economics and the improvement of the people. Yes. That, that's let the governments let the governments deal with military and let's focus on economic resolve because it matters most to a lot of people it matters to lives now this is yeah. exactly what i'm talking about and this does not include china because they were not they missed out <laughs> it, it, it's so great to see because it, here's what china's thinking in some of their brains right now in their mind they just allowed a lot of people to join BRICS. So they're like, oh, we got a team. Saudi Arabia is on both summits, and they just came up with a deal that China's not going to be on because China didn't show up to the other summit that they're supposed to be a part of. So now, what do you look – what is China looking at? Isolation. They're serious, and I'm being serious about that. China is looking at isolation because what Saudi Arabia is doing, again, is not joining BRICS to screw over the West. They're joining BRICS because they see an opportunity. Absolutely. That's why they're still in the G20 summit. They would have left the G20 if they didn't see an opportunity. Along with other BRICS countries. Exactly. But they do. They see an opportunity. When you see an opportunity on both sides of the aisle, why not join? Why not join? There's a country who is growing and developing at a rapid rate. Yep. And this is, this is what I think the beginning of some sort of attack on China's Belt and Roads Initiative as well, because yes. it, it didn't end with the the that initiative that I was talking about. The U.S. also plans uh, to invest in rail lines that can connect Angola, the DRC, and Zambia. So this is this is the start of something that the United States is planning a counteroffensive towards China's Belt and Road Initiative, similar to how the EU is uh, counteracting the Belt and Road Initiatives in Latin America with their uh, billions of dollars in investing plans in Latin America. So this is an attack on two fronts, one in Latin America and one in Africa and the Middle East. And yeah. this was a much needed counteroffense um, to the Belt and Road Initiative that has left countries in debt and with poor infrastructure. So this is, this is Biden, really looking good. No, Biden administration's foreign policy, I can confidently say has been – probably one of the greatest bounce backs we've had from a poor presidency in, in what Trump kind of was. He had good and bad um, in history. I mean, he has seriously pulled together some alliances that were never thought. He's visiting Vietnam for a new alliance. I mean, come on, people. When were we going to think that we were going to have an alliance with Vietnam over security? Uh, I mean, that's just insane. And now we have a deal that's going to transfer information and energy between Saudi Arabia, India, and Europe. Like, let's get let's let's give that's, credit where credit is due at this point. I mean, that yep. is incredible policy. I can I can't even I not admit that. I was I was shocked. I was shocked uh, that Biden was able to pull that off. Yeah. It, uh, I don't know. I don't know it's what to administration. say. I just, yeah. yeah, big, big foreign policy bounce back. And I think this is the step in the right direction for globalism, 100 percent. And yeah. this is going to encourage other countries to follow suit and go past the West versus East divide and say, BRICS exists. The West exists. Let's suck it up. Let's get both of the best. 
And I think the United States is looking and saying, listen, this BRICS is going to form whether we like it or not. Let's do something about it. Let's make money where it's due. Let's work with them. Let's cooperate. Let's compete. It's it's healthy competition. Competition drives economies worldwide. Yep. And this is exactly this is exactly what we need if we're going to move forward with globalization. I think I said it in a prior episode. I think a G20 BRICS summit is a future goal that needs to be achieved because what we what what the goal of this summit I don't think is to try and bring the two together. I think the goal of this summit is to get to a common understanding of the worlds and where we need to move, how we need to create new trade deals and what the economics to help benefit every country in each of these blocks. And then after that it can move to maybe combining into one big uh block conference with yeah. a bunch of people um that with a bunch of people a bunch of member states you know that can create benefits for the whole entire world i think that's a great start it's just to have a sit down you know between each block i, I think this was the first step to that g20 plus bricks summit yeah is if this go follows through and we can connect india the middle east with the west I don't see why wouldn't it ha- why it wouldn't happen. We have exactly what we promised them. We we could yeah. sit down with them and say, "Listen, we've done this for you. Now we want to welcome BRICS investment into the West. Let's yeah. make some money here together because we both have common goals. Make money. Yeah. We might have different geopolitical differences and our understanding of how governments work and territorial inter- whatever it is, but economics remain the same. We all want money." Absolutely. And if we can create that economic cooperation, what's not to say that we can use that – what's the word I'm looking for? Economic interdependence. What's not yeah. to say that the G20 and BRICS have economic interdependence with one another? And would we want to risk losing that interdependence with BRICS countries? We must protect yeah. that interdependence at all costs because then it gives – we can use it as a leverage to keep the peace. Lose the interdependence and you have another situation where – it's like a U.S.-China relationship, right? Where if one or one of them goes to shit, you're done. You're done. Yeah. And that's a good way to keep peace and also develop. Yeah. And one of the things, and the, I think the biggest reason I think that this this coming together and understanding is never going to happen in this recent future is actually, unfortunately, because of India and not because of India directly but because of the border dispute right now and the security concerns that india has mm-hmm. over china and and vice versa and i think that the united states is going to use that as a leverage point to can maybe convince them to drop out of bricks um i'm not too that's that's a shot in the dark scope for me mm-hmm. but it's not it's not crazy because india has been in very very they're, they're very upset that china is trying to claim that territory they're also very concerned over the Chinese uh, navy in their in the waters in the South China Sea and near Indian territorial waters. waters. Mm-hmm. So there, I think the U.S. might be in their ear a little bit, or might start to get into their ear a little bit about dropping bricks and just you know stay with us. See, I don't know how I feel about that. I think at the end of the day, it should be up to the decision of India to deal with their border dispute. Because 
I think still having China in that BRICS is essential for if we do have one day a G20 and BRICS sit down. I think isolating them from the world would be a poor choice, especially economically. It would be a terrible decision yeah. to isolate them. But I think the U.S. needs to avoid using this as a chance to hop on China's um, kind of sort I'm looking for. Case, jump on their case. Exactly, jump on their case, exactly. And and using that to kind of attack them. I don't don't think we should be doing that. I think we should let India do that because Modi was upset that China and Russia were not there because it wasn't an inclusive talk. Now, if Modi can figure it out, he could have used that G20 to figure it out, but China did sit out on it, which is poor decision from them. That's... Those are shows just yeah. host- hostilities, like you know, yeah. just just very it hostile. It does, yeah. So, um, what else? I mean, this was a, like again, this was just a fantastic G twenty, and yeah, like I, I love seeing the Western cooperation with the global South and the global South wanting to cooperate and voicing more of their concerns to the West, and not like that. There, it feels more equal. Is what I'm inclusive. What I'm to, inclusive. It's yep. so great. It just it just feels much more inclusive and much more equal. Where it's like global south trying to convince the west to help them versus now we have the global north and the global south sitting down with each other and not looking at each other saying I need your help please like yeah. no like this is good and this is the step in the right direction and we need to keep this momentum at all yep. at all costs and. This pandemic has been and seen a lot of turmoil and in these last three years. And the fact that we have seen a summit come out as a consensus document and adding 55 new members as, as basically one member, but 55 new members of re- to representative members to the table to discuss world issues is arguably – going to be I, I i'm gonna say this now um as one of my hot take this could be one of the biggest turning points in history like world history in what g20 just did by including the african union and yes this has been all over the news the g20 summit but i hate how most the most of it has been talking about why ukraine hasn't been condemned and not that the African Why Russia Union, hasn't been condemned. Or Russia hasn't been condemned, sorry. <laughs> that Russia hasn't been condemned. And that the African Union just joined. 55 developing countries just joined yeah. this block uh, to help create the new world order. Quote unquote world order. Media's <sighs> position and viewpoint on the G20 is flawed completely. Yeah. They forgot completely. NATO summit exists. NATO is exists for that reason. And it's to protect Ukraine. G20 is to protect the global economy. And the media has failed to see that. But we're telling you that, yes, it's maybe there should have been some discussion and bringing more of the grain deal. But let NATO handle that. Let the countries decide for themselves how they want to view Ukraine. There are 8 billion people on this world. 8 billion people that need to be fed. And 8 billion people that want money. 8 billion people that are sick of being poor. We have a global agenda. Yeah, and th- like I said, this is the, I think this is the turning point. This is going to be one of the biggest turning points in history. It's it the global South to the developed world. 
and, and, and bridges that gap. That gap has always been there. And I think today it's, it's, it's closed. It's closing very rapidly. A few more improvements, adding more countries to it. And I think we can, we can do it. Absolutely. I think we can do it. But incredible summit. Absolutely. But I don't have anything else to add on this. If you want to add any nope. final comments. No. Uh, oh, cool. I mean, just pay attention to what's going on in this world. We always, we always try to bridge that, you know, the media is so hard to get through. And uh, that's kind of what we're, we're looking to do is help you find, help everyone find the things that are really important in this world. Not that Ukraine in their the war that Russia invasion is not important. That is important. It's that is so very, very, very significant. But the fact is, is that another very significant event happened today that is going, I think, going to be looked back in history is one of the most significant events ever. in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever. It'll be in the books. So, You'll be reading about yeah. Your kids will be reading about it. Or your yeah. future kids are going to be reading about, about this. I, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that will be in an international relations political science test, textbooks in the colleges and universities of the future. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening to this week's uh, latest global developments. Please be sure to follow us on our social medias. We are everywhere. And please check out the website, www.ngfnews.com, for all your articles and blog posts. This week, we will be launching a new kind of category service. I don't know. But it's called the Weekly Watch, and every day we're going to be posting something that you should be watching out for. So you don't even have to look through our our blogs or whatever. Just go straight to the Weekly Watch and just read that if you like. And then there's all the other resources on our website, all their, blo- all their blog posts, everything else you can read to learn more about what's going, ar- going on around the world. Absolutely. It's making exciting week ahead of us. Very, yep. make, making it very simple for you. We're... we're telling you every week what to look out for and what's not to look out for and also a bunch of other supplemental readings um i do a lot of global markets and uh business kind of blog posts on top of that i do everything else as well while josh and gabe do a lot of kind of like the regional posts um and stuff yeah. like that but enjoy enjoy it all it's all there for you for free and the weekly watch is a great resource as well if you don't have the time to read through everything just go straight to the weekly watch read that and that'll give you things you need to, you should be looking out for. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy everybody.